Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure to find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, subscribe to the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. This is what we have for you today on Monday. Uh, we're going to talk about the game that took place between the Raptors and the Knicks over the weekend. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the Raptors got just absolutely pulverized. But, you know, you did have alternatives to watch for uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, the NFL playoffs. So maybe you indulged there and switched the channel at halftime. Um, then we're going to talk about, you know, there's been so much focus and there will be so much focus because a lot of the upcoming schedule will be on former Raptors. Let's check in. On our X's, we got an X report for you. Uh, how are our lovely 2019 champions doing? Uh, we will check in with those players and, well, not directly, but, you know, just see how they're doing. Um, obviously, Pascal made his debut in Indiana uh, over the last two games. Um, not physically in Indiana, but with the paces. What's wrong with me? Um, checking on how he's doing, checking on how OG's doing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, hour two, we will get Vivek on. We'll look at just a big picture of, okay, now that we're in this rebuild, how long are we going to be in this rebuild for? And what are the types of rebuilds that have worked? Which ones haven't? And then finally, we'll get on Michael Grange of Sportsnet. He'll join us in studio, and we will ask him, where's Bruce Bound going? Because this it can't be the Raptors show without an ongoing trade saga of some sort. So, uh, Blake, how does that sound to you, man? That sounds uh, good. I got a couple notes on that. Great sweater, first of all. Oh, um, yeah, Saturday you had the Raptors-Knicks game, and then also Sportsnet is now the home of the UFC, so you, you probably uh, switched over and watched that on Sportsnet Plus or whatever Sportsnet uh, device. Um, yeah, and I think it's amusing that, you know, everyone's very, and look, I'm guilty of this. Everyone's very, very excited after the trade quickly, and, and RJ looked like good fits. The offense looks much more functional. Uh, we had given some warnings about what the defense looked like and that even though it was more fun right now, it might not be very good. And now they're one in six and the headline item is, okay, well, how long is this going to take? Yeah. What does patience mean exactly? And I wrote about <laughs> this for sports that last week uh -huh. off of Masai's presser of like, yeah, he's saying the word patience a lot. Um, he's a guy who has not, he has had patience with cores and patience keeping good teams together maybe longer than he should have and justified in the case of the one that won a championship. Uh, I don't know that we've seen patience of like, what if we're bad for more than a year? That is kind of the question now of like where, and, and we'll learn not a lot between now and the trade deadline because everything that's going to happen. Like I, I guess theoretically they could take some of these assets they've picked up and trade for, like another good young player that fits the core. I don't, I don't exactly see who that guy would be. That would, you know, change your outlook overall. That's more of an off season discussion. Um, but yeah, it, it's at least mildly amusing that like the moves happened that a lot of people were hoping would happen. The vibes were better briefly. And now after a one in six stretch reality is setting in, everyone's like, all right. So next year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, look, I'm not going to say that this one game where the Raptors played where they lost in New York to the red hot Knickerbockers by a score of 126 to 100 is going to be a reflection of the entire season, but it is the rest of the way is very much wins and lessons moments. Like it's wins and lessons. And this one was a big lesson uh, in the fact that the Raptors need some size to play against them. And they need their star players to be able to just create and generate in the way that like, you know, we look at Brunson, 38 points. You look at uh, Julius Randle produces a triple double constantly putting pressure, constantly commanding double teams. Um, the physicality the Knicks played with overall, I actually really admired that, and I think that's probably going to be one of the biggest assets for their team going forward is 
they can win ugly and they can just beat you up, especially now they got OG on that side too. They can flip you over <laughs> if they see Dennis again. But yeah, I mean, what were your takeaways from watching uh, the Raptors lose to the Knicks on Saturday? Yeah, I think the the biggest takeaway, and, and especially relative to where we were before the Pascal trade, is that there is no longer any ambiguity about which tier of the Eastern Conference the Raptors belong. And, and look, we entered the season... I think I was the low man at 40 mm -hmm. wins. You guys were around the 500 mark in terms of predictions. So nobody thought this team was going to be top of the East. But there were some people and fans and the Raptors internally who thought maybe this is a team that could compete to avoid the plan. Win 45 games and be the sixth seed in the East. And then, you know, things didn't go that way. After the OG trade, we kind of reset. It was like, well, what is... What is this new environment with Pascal still look like? And a lot of our talk was like, okay, well, look at the teams in the East playing. The Pacers pre-Pascal mm -hmm. looked good, but not amazing. The yeah. Heat looked good, but not amazing. And then really the, the chunk that was like, okay, well, Orlando, Chicago, Atlanta, Brooklyn, those are the play-in teams. Three of the five of you are going to get in. Can you prove with some certainty that you're better than those teams? And that was a decent West Coast trip that that this team kind of re-debuted on a couple of close losses that, you know, I don't think changed the Pascal Siakam outlook. I don't I don't think really changed anything big picture. But you were at least we were at least able to have those conversations of, of are they better than some of these other playing teams? And I think what Saturday's game showed, and what really what the last couple of games have shown, at least on the defensive side, but what Saturday's game showed is that there is no longer the discussion about whether they could be a team that avoids the play and compete and be competitive with the top teams of these was long gone. Mm -hmm. It's like, like they're not close to being competitive with those teams right now. If you face, like we saw them play that Boston team and that was, they shot awfully that game. Yeah. Four for 32, but they had no Jalen Brown. The Raptors played a really good game with everything other than the three-point shooting, and it still never really felt like they had a chance in that game unless they had shot on the other end of things and been really, really hot. Um, they're not going to be competitive with Philadelphia. Mm. They are. They beat the Bucks really early in the year, but if they rematch tomorrow, we're not beating. They're the not going to be competitive man. with, with yeah. Milwaukee. And look, it's the regular season. Weird things happen. You you beat teams that you're not supposed to beat all the time. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to go over against these teams, but they are literally over in the Atlantic Division. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. And like they're uh -huh. going to beat Brooklyn in some of those meetings that they still have because Brooklyn's a pretty bad team too. But you can no longer convince yourself that like, hey, they're on the tier of New York and Cleveland and Miami, even though they just beat Miami. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that you can believe that and that's fine that's a part of why you're trading away og and and pascal siakam to reorient for a future where you're not aiming at being competitive with the seventh best team in the east you're aiming at being competitive with the the first best team in the east but i think you did see saturday a knicks team that never once felt pressed against you no. a knicks team that is you know they've been red hot since the trade they're still only fifth in the east they're not like mm -hmm. the class of the nba and you just like you didn't look like you were in the same league as them at at all, oh, yeah, and I yeah. think that that reality has been slowly setting in. But if you needed a, a good, a good push to mm -hmm. yeah, this team is not going to be competitive the rest of the year. That was a a pretty good one because that Knicks team looks way way better than this Raptors team. They they are way which better. is not surprising. They they are way better. That's why they made that trade for OG. And yeah, I mean since the trade for OG nine and two nine and two 
best defense in the uh, association with OG. We'll talk more on, on the X report when we check in with our exes because we have Vivek a lot of them also across the a, country now. Yeah, Vivek <laughs> also had a really good piece uh, before that game at okay. sportsnet.ca um, kind of about OG's fit. So we'll talk to him a little bit about right. that uh, as well. But in any case, yeah, on the Raptors side, like the reason you tuned in to see that game as a Raptor fan uh, was for the vibe. Just to see like what the reunions, reunions look like. You know, see Precious and Malachi, who scored with ease against the Raptors, unfortunately. Precious goes 9 for 10 for his breakout performance with New York. Before that, he had done very little. Um, you know, obviously see OG, see the Quickly, and RJ get their tributes in. And it was about, you know, the reunion. It wasn't actually about the product on the court. Because the Raptors went up by 10 because they forced a lot of turnovers. And they double-teamed the ball. And the Knicks were sloppy. And the Raptors were able to get out on the break. Basically, by the end of the first quarter, that 10-point lead had already gone away. And eventually, the rest of the way, the Knicks just steamrolled the Raptors, especially in the second half. Um, so I think, especially now when we're taking a longer-term focus, a longer-term outlook on the team, there's going to be so much discussion every single game, as there pretty much was prior to the trades as well, but even more so now about how are Scotty, how are Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, these three in particular, how are they adapting to this? And so... You got to see Scotty and Emmanuel quickly go up against a really good defense, uh, against a, a coach in Tibbs who was very good at scheming defensively. How did you think the Knicks approached guarding Scotty and quickly, and how do you think those two handled that extra attention? Yeah, I thought it was kind of a, a story of two different parts of the game for the Knicks. And the one early on was, well, let's overload on Scotty and Emmanuel quickly. Let's make sure they're not the guys taking shots. And look, if our old friend RJ beats us, if Gary Trent has a hot night shooting, mm -hmm. uh, if Jonte Porter makes some layups, yeah. then they'll live with that. And that's what kind of played out as the Knicks chipped into that initial Raptors lead and took their their small lead. You know, Scotty had a, a difficult night shooting the ball and, and getting to the line and things like that. Like the Knicks are very, very physical. And, you know, we've talked about before, one of the learning steps for Scotty is... He's so eager to finish through contact and just be powerful, um, you know, that sometimes you don't always get those calls. And the Knicks, you know, tried to turn him into a non-paint guy mm -hmm. uh, a little bit. I thought Emmanuel quickly, it, it, it's a tougher one because he made good basketball decisions mostly in, in passing out of that extra attention. And I, I believe it was a, a season high 11 assists for him. You got to take more than eight shots. You got to take more than four oh, three-point yeah. shots. This yeah. offense needs too. This offense too desperately needs what you bring as a pull-up shooter and a creator um, for you to kind of accept that to, to the the degree that he did. And then I thought what was most troubling, I guess, longer term for the Raptors here, uh, longer term, and I mean the rest of the season, not mm -hmm. long term. Long term is at a certain point the Knicks kind of were like we don't really need to throw all this extra attention at them. Yeah. And they eased up a little bit and, you know, Scotty at least tried, but quickly really didn't still didn't get much going. And like, that's a matchup where I know he wasn't guarded by Brunson the entire time, but like, mm -hmm. that's, that's the guy you were stuck behind. Even if you're boys, even if you like him as a teammate, you got to want to show a little bit when he's guarding you that, that you can have some of that. And I didn't really see much of that. Mm. Um, you know, again, Scotty's side of it, I understand more because he was guarded by OG and there's just so much physicality and size on that Knicks team. But I really did think that the Knicks reached a point in that game where they were like, we don't need to do all this to, to get yeah. the ball out of Scotty and Quickly's hands. We could just guard straight up and they're not going to be able to score at that level. So um, I don't know if you saw something differently. Obviously, the numbers are also skewed by there was like 12 minutes of garbage time in this game. <laughs> sure. Too, yeah. But like they're just yeah. 
there wasn't a lot there. Like the it was one of the Raptors' worst offensive performances of the entire season, actually, and that includes like like the, there is so they're on, on a points per possession basis. Their games against Boston and New York in this last week, you have to go all the way back to the first week of the season when they were like when we were talking about how historically bad the offense was. For the last time, they had two games like that that mm. that poor offensively. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's so much of the discussion since the trade was this team is now making a lot more sense offensively. Of course, that included Pascal. And Jakob. And Jakob and a lot of those. Now, Jakob obviously dropped off with the injury, and hopefully he's back soon. Uh, we should know at least uh, as of this week if there's yeah, an official I, update on his return from an ankle. Yeah, so sprain. tomorrow is technically the two-week mark of when we're expecting an update. Uh, I certainly plan to ask pregame mm-hmm. what, this, what the latest is because cool. he hasn't even been, like, upgraded to questionable for a game yet. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him, like, doing stuff like at the facility and just getting his usual hook shots in on that like cool board where like it can measure how much of your weight distribution is off from normal and stuff like that as you're like doing push shots and stuff that's actually Um, pretty cool also like they have three days off in a row this week so Mm -hmm. why why even if he was 99 percent, why would he play today right like you've got three days off coming up uh but still like the general point is they were really good offensively and of course that included pascal having a really really nice stretch offensively in the middle of that. Now, they've also had some really good performance offensively without him. I mean, the uh, Miami game was a big indication. Of course, they hit 23s in that game, but still they moved the ball really beautifully. The question moving forward is just how are these guys going to be able to handle that because everybody else now moves up one notch in mm-hmm. that scouting report. Scotty Barnes, probably most nights will see double teams. Or a lot of nights they'll see defenses where they got physicality and they're going to try to make Scotty, um, you know, score from the perimeter. Um you're going to see that tonight, I think. Like, I think they'll put Jaron on him. Yeah, yeah, And, sure. like, try to keep him outside of the paint and turn him into a mid-range guy. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you can do that, if you can do the kind of spinning fadeaways from 12 feet, like, more power to you. But I, I think they're, they'll try to turn Scotty perimeter-oriented tonight. Yeah, and it's going to be the same thing for quickly. And so I think the what's, what to watch for the rest of the way with these guys, rest of the season, moving forward, next season and beyond, because they're both going to be here, is are they able to take on that extra responsibility? Because I do think that, like, you can't necessarily like when you're the second or third option, you can kind of like shirk responsibility in a way and being like, look, first off, this guy's got to go and let's go feed him. Um, and you know what? If I'm the second option, a lot of the nights, like it's not necessarily on me to decide how the whole offense is going to be run. It will be that now. Like it, it just, there, there, there is almost no gap at all for a quiet night. If there's a quiet night, you, you're not competitive. If you have a big night, you're probably competitive and you have a chance to win, you know? So, you're going to need to see these two just assert themselves more and more. And, of course, that's not going to mean that their their skill sets are going to instantly appear out of nowhere just out of sheer aggression. But I would like to see, even if the efficiency comes down, I don't mind that. I, I need to see the volume stay mm-hmm. high for both of these guys. Basically, if if RJ and Gary Trent are going to be your leading scorers, that needs to be because Barnes and Quickly are doing such a good job mm-hmm. that the defensive attention and has turned that way. the first half they did. The first half that they did. Yeah. Like, you know, again, like I'm not asking them the four shots over double teams. You know, they can continue to make passes. The Raptors have enough shooting around them now that they can kind of capitalize on that as, as long as Gary's shooting 50% from three, which is what he's doing the last month. Um, but aside from that, it's like, yeah, you're going to need to see them step up like every single night. Otherwise, you're not going to have a chance to even compete with this group. And this is the challenge for those guys. We talked about when, when the Raptors acquire quickly, you know, one of the, and we got into it more on the like tactical side of like, you know, what parts of his game can he do in more volume? But when we talk about, like, can you scale mm-hmm. to use, like, the tech bro term, it's like, yeah, 
24 minutes a game off the bench, mm-hmm. you can play this style and have this shot mix and this is your bag. What happens when it's 32 minutes a game? Can you do the same thing? You know, can your per 36s keep up when you're playing actually 36 instead of 24? And, and like, yeah. the, that's, you know, that's not just a, an energy and efficiency thing. It's also a like, well, that's 50% more looks the opponent is getting at you and, you know, more tape. You're, you're a greater focus of the defensive game plan and stuff like that. So none of this is like unexpected. It's mm-hmm. the challenges of, like you said, everyone kind of stepping up. One, or Scotty stepping from, you know, 1B maybe to 1A mm-hmm. and quickly going from really like number four in New York to number two now yeah. in Toronto. Well, um, the quickly know. part is the most interesting part to me because since coming to Toronto, his, his he is scoring a little bit more in terms of just raw scoring. He's averaging uh, with the Raptors... 17.5 points per game. He was averaging 15 with the Knicks. Um, but he's playing seven more minutes per game, and he's only taking two more shots. His usage is actually down from as compared to what he was with the Knicks. Um, what do you think is going into that? Because you would have expected that to be in the opposite direction. Yeah, I certainly would have. And, and I do. I think there's probably an impact of Jakob Pertl not being there where quickly is more okay. he's a comfortable pick and roll guy and right. he's used to getting his floater range stuff out of pick and roll and things like that. Can he get um, that with Scotty though? He should be able to. They okay. I would like them to to mine that a little bit more. I actually think tonight's a good night for it because yeah, I mean Jaron on quickly is not a good matchup, but you're gonna want to get Scotty off of that matchup as mm-hmm. much as possible. Um, you know, the Grizzlies as they are right now, the zombie grizzlies, um, are not armed with as many guys as they normally would have to guard Scotty. Like, I think, I don't know. I think my guess is Vince Williams Jr. Gets the, gets the, uh, quickly assignment. And then you're kind of probing that mismatch with Scotty. Um, anyway. Yeah. I think, and I think some of it is like quickly is a young guy who hasn't had the keys before. Yeah. And in New York, it was when he would start, it's pretty clear what you're being asked to do. Jalen Bronson is out. Mm-hmm. You fill cool. Jalen Brunson's minutes off the bench. We just want you to fill Jalen. Like Jalen Brunson runs a ton of ISO and you have all the leeway in the world to take a lot of shots. His bench role was one thing. With Pascal and Scotty, I think it was pretty natural for him to step into not a tertiary role, but like, hey, yeah. I play a lot of Set my minutes. In, a lot of my minutes with two of Brunson, Randall, and RJ cooking over there. I know how to be a number three guy who brings the ball up, starts a set, and then gets off the ball. But now the ball's in your hand every possession. And that takes some some learning. I really, I'm trying to say this without being critical of him because I understand trying to make the right basketball plays, trying not to overdo it in a, a larger role here and stuff. I really do think he needs to be more aggressive and look for his own shot more. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would love to see that aspect of this game. I mean, to his credit, his playmaking has doubled. He's at 5.7 assists with, with almost Raptors. no turnovers. Compared to 2.5. Yeah, I mean, he's a really responsible point guard. Like, yeah. I really enjoy his style what are, of play. What are his turnover numbers at right now? It's it's only at 1.2 per game, and it was at one a game with, with the Knicks. Okay, so, so he's almost doubled his assist with with uh, only a 20% increase in turnovers. Exactly. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah, so I, I think that, like, overall, he's doing a good job. I just think that, especially on nights like that against the Knicks, where it's just like, okay, you know what? First half, playmaking is, is, is really well. But second half, when they ease off of you, you need to go at them every single mm-hmm. time. Like, Jalen Brentz is not giving an opportunity to not double team you better double team him you better track him off ball um because otherwise he's gonna shoot it and he's gonna find a way to attack you each time same thing with randall 
you know? And I think when you're the number one guys, you kind of have to be like that. Um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, the overall, the reason why the Raptors lost was size. Like, the Raptors got rebounded by 30. Yeah. And there was obviously a lot of discussion. While there was no Yakub, hopefully Yak comes back and whatever. I feel like it's worth noting that the Knicks also didn't have Mitchell Robinson. Like, both teams and were actually without their starting center. Isaiah Hardenstein left the game hurt. Exactly. So, I, I do think that overall... It's like, you got outsized by... Precious Achua playing 25 minutes. Precious bullied the Raptors. It was actually kind of... 18 and 11. It yeah. was wild. On 9 of 10 shooting. My my goodness. Yeah. But and look, like... Is I the, think, Ra- the Raptors not play physical enough, though? That's my question. Yeah, I, I think that's that's certainly a part of it. And they're smaller. Like, like quickly okay. is a good defender, but I wouldn't say he plays, like, above his size defensively. He's not a Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Like, uh, taking charges on all that kind of Gary stuff. Gary Trent, not a physical defender. Not... not. He defends with his hands. That's yeah, about it. exactly. Yeah. He's a He's a you know, an opportunistic defender. Mm-hmm. RJ, an okay defender, but like, oh, he's undersized playing like the three and, and a lot of these minutes, the right. four. He's not a stopper type. Yeah. Yeah, not like OG. And yeah. like Scotty can play physical. Jonte is already foul prone. So like, I don't know how much more physical you want right. to ask him to be. He also had just a, had a weird game where like he missed a couple of the bunnies. His hands were really good and active defensively, but I didn't think he was good defensively. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he had sure. like yeah. four of those like kind of strip steel blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it was a weird game for him. Also like, he, and people know that I was fond of Jonte and think he, yeah. he deserves an NBA shot. Starting 20 minutes a game is a huge jump from you were readily available in the G League a couple weeks ago. Like right, he's, right. he is being overexposed a little bit with how much they have to ask him to do right mm-hmm. now with Jakobo. So that's all some of it. And then look at the guys that they bring off the bench, right? Like like Bruce Brown plays way above his size, but he's six foot four. Like yeah. you can't play seven feet if you're six foot four. You can play six eight, six nine. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of size there. Dennis is small for a point guard, even though he's I would say he's on the more physical end relative sure. to his yeah, size. Yeah. Um, Chris Boucher, obviously not the most physical of presences. He's more about the what he can do in open space. Um, you know, Thad Young is Thad Young at this point. Yeah. It's there's just not a they've it's been such a quick turnaround from a couple of years of, oh, we don't have a center, but we're way bigger than you at every other position, to now they're just like they're small everywhere now. Yeah. Other than Scotty is going to be bigger than his matchup most nights. Yeah, well, I mean, we even saw it the other night when they were closing at Chicago. It was Scotty plus four guards who were yeah. six four and under. With, like, Vucevic yeah. on the other side and DeMar, who plays huge. Like, DeMar yeah, can comfortably sure. play the four at this stage in plays his career. Plays huge offensively. Defensively, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever. We we don't have to talk about Yeah, and about Caruso's like the opposite. <laughs> Where it's like, Caruso yeah, Caruso. is the opposite, man. Also, why is Caruso just allowed to just grab and bump and, like, he's very good at defense. Let's say that much. Yeah. And, and the reputation, I think, is uh, yeah. is is also a factor there. Um. Also, I know the Bulls are in a play-in spot, but, like, can we get Caruso on a real team? Yeah, here's the thing. I feel like the Bulls, like, management-wise, I don't know. They might look at it like, you know what? If I choose to rebuild, I'm probably not going to be your management, like, managing the rebuild. So I might as well try to... How the last couple years went. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you were going to look at it on the positive side, so first off, Chicago is only two games under 500 now. Yeah, they're, they're not that far behind Orlando for eighth. Yeah, um, and you know Kobe White breaking out like this has been nice. If Levine's out, out another couple weeks now. Yeah, yeah, he twisted his ankle against the Raptors. Right, yeah. I didn't even see the play, but he was super pissed off when he when he got off the court. I was surprised he came back into the game, given Me how. Too. Yeah, I know how these things work with ankles, though. Like you, you tape it up quick yeah, before you, you try to give it another I mean, shot. Jakob stayed in the game. That's with the ankle injury that's yeah, now cost him a couple yeah. weeks, right? So um, that's just kind of how uh, how it goes, but. 
Yeah, I mean, the Levine thing is interesting because, like, it could potentially keep him injured through the trade deadline now. And what does that do? They're just an odd team. And I, I don't mean to say, like, get Cruz on a real team. They, like, mm-hmm. the Bulls aren't good or interesting. They are. But they're interesting in a way that I don't agree with them staying where they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like I, I don't mind watching them night to night. I think they'd be cool to watch in a playing game, even in a playoff series against one of these, uh, one of these better teams. But, like, process-wise, management-wise, they should not be doing this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hear you, but I mean, <laughs> when when the management is the group that built this team, yeah, it's going to be really hard for them to sell the idea that they got to tear down that exact team I don't even, while still you don't remaining even need in to charge. You know, tear it down that much. It's just like you you could get a lot for Alex Caruso relative to yeah. you know the fact that he's a. Part- they could probably get more for Caruso than they get for Levine, which is kind of hilarious to think about. Yeah, because I mean, Caruso's got player, I think one but- year and nine million dollars left on his deal. Like, yeah, um, and then like Demar's an expiring, so like. You could. Yeah. Demar's not coming back. Well, actually, I don't know. Where is Demar going to go next year? One of the LA teams. Mm. He's going to enter the Jamal Crawford phase of his career, where he's just like a really, really good bench piece for. Oh good, man, yeah. Don't you think that that's the de- like? He'd I know. Take a big discount though. I feel like Demar's still such a quality player that like he shouldn't be taking the mid level or something like that. You know. Yeah, he he sh- he doesn't have to. Yeah, there will be better offers than that out there for him. But it's also like. This is what DeMar's made he's in played, his career. He's played 15 years in the league. Yeah. So, like, at some point, does he transition into, like, I'm not ring chasing necessarily, mm-hmm. but, like, I'm willing to Russell Westbrook, I'm going to lead the bench unit and right. close yeah, with the right. starters sometimes. And, like, Westbrook makes $5 million. DeMar's going to get more than that. I was like, going to say, The yeah. mid-level will be the absolute floor for uh, DeMar. Um, anyway, he's going to be 35 next year, too. Like, that's... A, yeah. Although Demar's weirdly become like one of those, ring, man. yeah, somewhere like as it, like a a really good bench piece that you can close with sometimes too if you're like trailing in a game or there's a good defensive matchup for him. Hmm. I think it, this is the thing too is like with his offensive game and how versatile he's become even without the three point shot. Like he re- he really can fit anywhere offensively despite not being a shooter. I don't think Philadelphia would sign him, but they do have a lot of cap space and they're a really good team. Yeah. I wonder what the relationship with Nick Nurse's assistant was like because uh, he never played under him. Yeah, that's true. Um, God, see, I, I don't, don't want to like, see. Oh, you know what? The X report is coming up. Yeah. Like, also, like, God damn. wouldn't it just feel uh-huh. like, don't you think it's been coming that DeMar's going to end his career on one of the L.A. teams? Uh, like, yeah, like, once it was off the money. table. Like, he's going to have yeah. to take, like, a $5 million deal or, like, a $1, $2 million deal. Like, the Lakers aren't in that bad of a cap spot, actually. Okay. All right. They're like they're in a weird spot this year where like they're hard capped this year, mm-hmm. but that has kept them from doing too outlandish of things. Mm. Um, I don't think it would be like I think you'd still have to unload D'Angelo Russell or, or Rui in like a sign and trade kind of thing to make it happen. Yeah. But um, hasn't so it, hasn't it felt to you like Demar will end up on an LA team? Like no, once it, it was off the sure. table that like sure. he couldn't play in Toronto his whole career. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean the whole thing came up last time he was a free agent was. Um, you know, the Clippers were trying to get out of after him. Yeah. And unfortunately, the the Bulls came through and were like, why would you take $13, $14 million if we can pay you like double that? Yeah. And we're going to make you our guy. And so he went to Chicago instead. That was like three years ago now. But yeah. And that's um, where like that contract was there when you were 31. Is that there when you're 34 going on 35? Yeah. Even though you really haven't dropped off as a player say, very much. His, his, his consistency has been remarkable. But yeah. DeMar's also made $230 million. Like, this if he all, wants to yeah. go chase a ring, like, 
And like the Clippers aren't going to be the team because like they're in like super luxury tax hell. And like there are these new rules coming around the second apron next year where like they're not going to be able to do anything. Mm. Like they're not the way they're currently constructed. They would not be allowed to aggregate salaries in a trade. So you can't even do the like, I'm going to add three salaries up to trade for a guy. They're not even going to be allowed to do that as currently constructed. Right. And you can't trade your first seven years. out. There's just like there's so many restrictions coming. They probably won't be the team, but Mm. the Lakers, I don't know. I can see it. Yeah, this has been the this is this is part one of the X report. I yeah, suppose, I, I'm sorry that it went no, there, no, but it's, like it's the, actually good because so the Raptors next game was just not that interesting. No, no, it isn't. And and we're gonna talk more about what a rebuild looks like in general. But I think in the meantime, there's been so much talk about the former Raptors, and so let's actually take some time to talk about those former Raptors. We just talked about Demar still going amazing, and maybe go ring chase. The Bulls also like you know decent team honestly since uh at least since they figured out midway through the season but we'll check out other guys pascal made his uh debut with uh, the pacers og how he's doing with the knicks uh fred's coming to town in a couple weeks let's see how fred's doing so uh all that after this break been your host willow you've been listening to the raptor show on the sports radio network diving deep into leaps raptors jays and nfl the jd bunkers podcast Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wen Lu. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. So, yeah, we are going to talk uh, about... The former Raptors, these are the X-Files, E-X-Files. Uh, so we just talked about DeMar DeRozan, what options he may have with his possible future. I mean, look, if he wants to get cashed out, Chicago makes the most sense for him. If he wants to contend and, and, and chase the ring and take a discount to go elsewhere, lots of options on the table for him. Honestly, I'm hoping he goes west, but if he goes to like Miami to join Kyle and Jimmy, that's kind of fun. Uh, or if he goes to Philadelphia and just completes that team, it would also be kind of terrifying, but... Either way, I, I'm really rooting for DeMar DeRozan to, uh, to to win a ring. But we also saw OG Anobi, Precious Achua, Malachi Flynn with the New York Knicks playing against the Raptors over the weekend. Um, yeah, what are you seeing from those guys since they left from Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have much of a take on on Malachi Flynn and Precious fitting in there. Played, honestly. Yeah, and like it's been mildly amusing for Knicks fans to get the Precious Achua experience, where games like Saturday, he looks like, oh my god, he's a future starter mm-hmm. in this league. Look at the defense, look at the rebounding, look at how he operates offensively in space. Yeah. And then there are games where Tom Thibodeau only plays him four minutes because he plays four minutes, and and it's like. This yeah. guy has never played basketball before. What's going on? So, right. um, it is, is going to be the rotation when Robinson comes back, or is Robinson Robinson's out for the done for the year? Oh, I, right, I think yeah. they got. If I'm mm. remembering right, they got denied the disabled player exception for Mitchell Robinson. Okay, which means he's not. So to get that, you have to be sure a guy's going to be out through June. So like he wouldn't come back even if the playoffs. Mm. But that is apparently okay. still a possibility. I don't think they're expecting him back in the regular season yeah. remotely uh, close because they did. Bad, they did apply for that. Uh, disabled player exception. So, um, yeah, I don't think he's back. I think given the way Tibbs has preferred his teams to play, the pressure situation would be in the playoff rotation because Tibbs just isn't going to play without a center. Yeah, that's um, true. You're right. But I would also imagine they're in the market for an extra depth big. I mean, they're probably in the market for a lot of second unit stuff right now. Yeah. Bruce Brown, for example. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll talk about that actually in a segment four. Yeah, we we'll talk about that with Grant. Um, 
Yeah, so, how's OG doing, though? Yeah, OG's been tremendous, man. And V wrote a, Vivek, Jacob wrote a, a really good piece at sportsnet.ca on Friday, kind of going into what that fit is. I, I know you've got some of the the numbers down there in the doc numbers guy over here. Um, he's been uh, He's been ridiculous. The uh-huh. Knicks win his minutes by a significant margin. You're seeing these Knicks writers. Uh, Tommy Beer had a really good thread the other day about how, you know, Tom Thibodeau's quote of OG is a defense unto himself. And just like a bunch mm. of clips of if a guy in your defense can do this, 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 and this, everything else is so much easier because mm. that guy is making up for the mistakes of others. He could switch around matchups. He can, you know, help into the paint and still recover really, really well. He can get beat and still make those rear view contests to, to make it difficult. He, he's, you know, he's not... I guess the only knock on OG really defensively is that he's not a great defensive rebounder. Mm. And that's in part because he's always all over the floor scrambling yeah. around. But even his defensive rebounding is up like 30% with the Knicks. Um, so there's nothing he's not doing. I think if you were to look at what he's done and search for something that it hasn't been, you know, an immediate snap in a place, it's it's difficult. He's actually, he's shooting better. Uh, he's been 50-40-90 with the Knicks. Mm. Uh, 50% from the floor, he, he 40% on threes. Just based on, yeah. you know, the fact that he shoots a three so well, and he's a pretty good finisher. He doesn't take shots that are, like, out of rhythm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he shot really well. I, I would guess if there was, if there are people out there who didn't love OG Ananobi the way I did, mm-hmm. uh, their knock would be, well, well, see, your offensive role is actually even smaller. Yeah. You just can't command those type of touches. I think that's fine. That's totally I've always fun, contended yeah. that I don't think OG felt as strongly about that as the reporting around it. And mm. it's part, it, like he left the agency that was so leaky about him wanting a larger role right. uh, to go to an agency, by the way, that now runs the team he's on. <laughs> um, so his usage has mm-hmm. dropped dramatically. It's, it would be the lowest it had been since 2019, 2020 yeah. uh, with the Knicks. But he's been lethally efficient. Yeah. And I think, look, we've known here for a long time that he's one of the very best defenders in the NBA. And whether we like it or not, his chance to really, really show that at a national level was probably during the playoff run that he didn't get the play in, unfortunately, and the run it back season that then got cut short. Yeah. He made all defense last year, which he absolutely deserved. He is, if he plays enough games, because he's only at 38 games. He might be the first. He's probably in contention for first team all defense. Yeah. And even in some small consideration for defensive player if of the year. The Knicks keep being the best defensive basketball since sure. they acquired him. And they will, by the way, they That's acquired- a great argument, by the way, for him to like, in terms of just a case narratively yeah. for him. Like yeah. he'll have played, assuming he doesn't get hurt or whatever, like 45, 50 games with the Knicks by the end of the season. Yeah. Plus what he played at Toronto earlier in the year where admittedly his defense was not at that level. You're going to see him on some all defense ballots mm-hmm. if this keeps up because, like, he's it's the same guy he's been in Toronto, yeah. but you're now doing it on a big stage with a team that you, where you can draw a line of this is who they were without OG yeah. and this is who they are with OG. Whereas the Raptors just always had OG. So it's sometimes mm-hmm. hard to see the the contrast. Like, you see it now. Yeah. One team's defense continue to <laughs> slide, one team's defense has reached a completely yeah. other level. And yeah, I mean, it's great that he's doing, you know, he's knocking down his threes and finishing in transition. It's just, there's no extra to the offense. I I don't think we were really expecting that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, ironically, the worse the Raptors defense does, the better OG's case for defensive player of the year yeah. becomes because... Oh, so that's why they're playing so poorly <laughs> defensively. They're helping OG They're out. helping OG get paid this offseason. Um, yeah, so OG plus 190 since the trade. Uh, so for the last 11 games, that's tops in the league. All three top... You know, plus minus in the league since the OG trade are all Knicks. Brunson second, and then Hartenstein's third. So it's obviously a measurement of the fact that the Knicks have also been really successful. But yeah, nine I mean, and two. Knicks are nine and two. Number one defense in the league since OG arrived there. 
Pascal also made his debut with mm-hmm. the Pacers uh, this past weekend. Uh, both games, I believe, were on Sportsnet. Um, so he unfortunately lost to both teams. Uh, they lost to Portland and they lost to Phoenix, both on the road. But To be clear, no Tyrese Halliburton in the Phoenix game. They played the Suns mm-hmm. tough. Halliburton, I don't know if it's a load management or maybe he just came back a little too quick from the hamstring thing. Dude, he thing. did the splits. Like, I know. I can't believe he came back in two weeks at all. But I, I yeah. do think I did want to qualify that because uh they should have won the game on friday but sure, on sunday yeah. they like without their star player hung with the suns and like went bucket for bucket with kd until the very end when kd was like yeah. kevin durant so game one pascal goes 21 six and three second game he goes 15 four and seven unfortunate note he had to guard jeremy grant and kevin durant who dropped a combined 77 points on him uh that's tough jeremy grant's always giving pascal problems i feel yeah. like uh, defensively and then kd is kd um, but in any case, yeah, what did you see from Pascal in the, in the, in the two games he's played for Indiana so far? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be a really nice offensive fit. Obviously, that, that game yesterday, you know, he didn't get to show off as much of the scoring load as they were probably hoping he could on nights Tyrese isn't, isn't there or whatever. In a bit of foul but, trouble, too, I feel like. Yeah, in yeah. a bit of foul trouble. Also, had seven assists, so he, he did the playmaking stuff mm-hmm. well. I just think offensively, it's just going to be such a great fit. Like, you saw a handful of times Friday just how much space he had to operate in, like those situations where the Raptors would funnel offense to Pascal against a mismatch or, or to create something in the post. And immediately was, it was a double team or like that five body shell around the paint where there's mm-hmm. no space. And you just can't do that with Indiana. Like yeah, miles yeah. Turner is a really natural pairing with him. Obviously when Tyrese Halliburton is there, buddy healed with a, a tremendous spacing and gravity element. It's just, it's all going to work offensively defensively. I think that, Maybe his reputation, he had not been as good defensively this year Mm -hmm. and even last year as he was earlier in his career. And I don't know that that had caught up reputationally. Um, He is still better than most of the options Indiana has for top guys. Like Aaron Neesmith is just not going to play enough minutes to be that guy. You also Um, need more than one defender. Exactly. But but like, yeah, if if Indiana thought Pascal was going to come in and be their LeBron KD Jeremy Grant stopper. He's not that. He's yeah. a he's a solid defender who really, really, really fits offensively. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because the Pacers had him playing some small ball center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'm curious to see how that holds up. I don't necessarily think that that's the best way to use him because the last time we saw Pascal play small ball center was like, I don't know, the Tampa season basically. Um, you know, but yeah, still like it's funny watching the, the Pacers broadcast because they're like ooing and on it each time he scores like a, a turnaround jumper yeah. or like he hits a spin He move hit or one over KD, which is... Well, like, I mean, hit one over KD, I totally get ooing and on. Yeah. But like still, um, there is going to be, I think, a baseline uh, that they're going to provide for the offense in the sense that if they find Pascal, they're always pretty much going to generate a good shot in that offense. Now, Did- the thing is, I just feel like he doesn't really, it's not a surprise. He doesn't really know how to be in that offense right now. No. He, a lot of times he was cutting off guys in the same spot or other guys were cutting him off in the yeah. same spot. And what did Bruce Brown so. tell us his first game? He's like, in Indiana, he knew exactly where shots were going to mm. come from, which tells yeah. you that even though this is a free-flowing, like, high-pace attack, there is a structure and, like, a system in place of, like, Tyrese is doing this, so you belong here, and this yeah. is where your shots come around that. And Siakam's going to make them a little more versatile, in that regard, because it's another guy you can dump a two to create offense. But yeah, it's going to take some time to to learn where you fit in and where those shots come from. Absolutely. Um, Fred, I thought overall it was, it was good. No, overall he's it's, he's it's been gonna be he, fun. he's been good. He, he's going to be totally fine. Um, Fred, 
in Houston. We haven't really talked that much about Fred VanVleet in Houston. Well, two matchups coming up in the next couple of weeks, so get ready. There you go. And Fred, for the season, is averaging 17.3 points, 3.8 rebounds, 8.6 assists in 37 minutes per game. Uh, he's shooting 41% from the field, 39% from three, 87 from the foul line for a true shooting percentage of 56%. Basically... A Fred season, like a normal Fred yep. season, like that's pretty much what you would you would say. Probably a little bit high with the assists, and, and a little more efficient shooting than we saw in Toronto. But that's that's, that's I think that's yeah. in part because the usage is down, and he's able to. He still takes a ton of threes, yeah. But some of those grenade end of the clock threes are not his responsibility now, and I think that helps your efficiency come up a little bit. When right. you know, like this is this would be a career high in true shooting percentage for him, but it would also be the second lowest usage of his career. Yeah, but you know, and, this, those are related. Those are related, and uh, that that's typically how it goes. And I think that he was pretty clearly like um, overused in, in Toronto, especially with no backups. But I also think that one thing is. Fred has always been this really good pick and roll player. Mm-hmm. And the combination with him and Shangun, we figured this Ooh. out today when we were looking up stats. It's crazy. So on the season, Fred VanVleet has 135 assists to Alper and Shangun. That's 3.4 assists per game, one way from Fred to Shangun. Uh, and then we looked up the numbers. That's the number one combination in the league in By terms far. of. Yeah, right. Fred. To Shangun is the number one uh, assist combination. Second is Halliburton to, to Turner at 113. Number three in the league is LeBron and to AD at 98. 135 assists per like on the season to just one guy is just absurd. But to, to put that yeah. differently, they have 35 percent more assists to each other. Yeah. Than the second next highest combination. Yeah. They're just like they're lapping everyone, and Halliburton yeah. Turner is like obviously incredible. And LeBron and AD is LeBron and AD, and Fred and Shangun by volume are just like way, way higher than to to compare the Raptors' highest assist combination on the year doesn't have half as many as Fred to Shangun. Also, it's no longer available. It's Dennis to Pascal at sixty three, yeah. and then Dennis to Jakob at forty seven assists between the two of them is the next highest that the right. Raptors have. And this isn't a criticism of the Raptors who have this unbelievable assist streak and they're one of the highest assist teams in the in the league. Mm-hmm. This actually, I think hammers home to you just how incredible the Fred and Shangun thing is because one of the highest assist teams in the league and the Toronto Raptors can't sniff what these guys are doing as a yeah. duo. By the way, I just also added this point. Um, Shangun's also assisted Fred 44 times. Hmm. So just that two-man game yeah. alone has been like 180 assists, like the crux of Houston's. Uh, Houston should even be that good offensively. They shouldn't be. And this is like... But this is the main reason why they're competitive offensively. Yeah, and it's... Yeah. Look, the more of the story is on the defensive end for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've slid a little bit. They're, they're two games under 500 now. They're out of a play-in spot. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I thought Fred had probably a down... Def- not probably. He had a down defensive year last season. Sure. I, I think yeah. some of the... You know, he, he had almost made an all-defense team at one point, and he was not in the conversation for that last year. Yeah. Um, he has an 87th percentile impact on defense this year, so how your defense performs when you're on the floor versus when you're off the floor. If we look at some of those catch-all metrics, he's right around top 20 in the league overall in terms of the impact he's had uh, on the Rockets, which is, you know, when you have a very young team making that big a turnaround, mm-hmm. most of the Rockets' outlook changing is about Shengun being that guy. Yes, but you bring in Fred, you bring in Dylan, those pieces fit a little bit. You have jumped from being irredeemably bad to really annoying to play against every night, and Fred's yeah. been a huge part of that. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, look, he, he should be a huge part of that because he obviously got paid the max, but at the same time, we understand that Houston had that salary space, and, and what they really wanted to do big picture-wise was 
turned the program from being like a joke, quite frankly, to being a respectable team that's competitive every single night, and they've been able to do that. Now, how they make the next jump and the next step will depend on what other moves they make outside of Fred, who else they bring in, how those young guys continue to grow and develop. I'm already seeing some Rockets fans being like, wow, Jalen Green's not breaking out. Let's blame Fred. Like, but he has a yeah. below average usage rate. Like, no, and, but come and on. Like his it's, just easy, it's always easy to blame the guy with the ball in his hands. It always is. Yeah. yeah. And like that's, that's not unique to Houston. Uh, no, that I mean, we not, saw yeah. that here yeah. a lot as well. And like part of why Houston brought him in. And honestly, part of why a guy like Fred had, and, and this, look, some of the reason he isn't all that efficient is because he can't finish at the rim. Mm-hmm. Part of it is also that you bring that guy in to have the ball in his hands because so that when there's six seconds left on the shot clock, you have someone who doesn't mind getting a bad shot up because it's better than no shot. Mm. And uh, yeah, that'll always be the case with some point guards. But the bigger thing is he has played a huge role in getting Shangun to the spot where yeah. he's like an all-star candidate. And Shangun's averaging 22, nine rebounds, five assists per game, a steal, a block per game, 54% shooting from the field. Still doesn't shoot the three well. Free throws can be a little inconsistent for him. Cause he's always sniffing at gra- <laughs> like he has the weirdest free throw routine in the league. Just look it up. But yeah, it's like someone's like got chili peppers in his in his jersey or something like that. He, he, he's he's fornicating with the ball before he shoots yeah. it on the free throw line. But um, yeah, still I, I think yeah, uh, Houston's got to be pretty happy with what Fred's doing. Yeah, and to be clear, Shangun's free throw shooting is like it's not elite, but it's past the point where you would ever hack him. Yeah, right? yeah like yeah. he's in the low seventies. Like you're you're he's, fine. He's been in the low seventies kind yeah. of thing. You're yeah. just leaving probably you know half a point a game right. on the table there. Um, who else? Who, what other axes you want to bring up the Instagram pages of? Uh, Kawhi and Norm, how are they doing? Oh, they're they're doing best <laughs> in the league. Doing. By the how way, they, they had doing, a twenty-two zero run to close out a game yep. yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're oh, ridiculous. Man. Oh, man. Uh, they're here on Friday. Yeah. So that'll be, be that'll be fun to see up close. Is it? I mean, do you want to watch the zombie Grizzlies or do you want no, to watch right. good basketball? You're right. you're right. I would love to see the Raptors get clapped by 20 points. Yeah. Um uh-huh. Clippers are 27 and 14 now. Yeah, oh, that, Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Kawhi, I mean, you you told me the numbers earlier off air, but Kawhi's like 50, 40, 90. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, like the lowest usage he's had in forever because yeah. they have so many pieces there. But like everything's good. They're norm. Norm is just such an unbelievable fit with what they do coming off the bench and just like here's another 40% catch and shoot three-point shooter and a guy who can attack closeouts. Oh, you know what Norm's shooting from three this season? I'll say 42%. 46% from three on 4.5 attempts per game. 46% from three. Honestly, from my Powell. biggest take on that is feed them the ball more. Get that those yeah. three-point attempts. I know there's there are only so many balls to go around there, but yeah. let them shoot. Yeah, I mean. Norm I, I, for the three-point contest? Kobe. <laughs> yeah, he really is good. I don't even think Kobe shot 46% from three, maybe from the field, but... Um, Not in a playoff game. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Norm's also shooting 50% from the field. Yeah. Kawhi's at 52% from the field, 45% from three. So also pretty damn good. And then also shooting 88% from the foul line. Most importantly, Kawhi stayed healthy. He's only missed four games all season. He's played 37 of uh, possible 41 games. He's playing back-to-backs. He's got his uh, extension, you know, all hammered out. Wow. I just look... So- what do you think the Clippers are shooting on threes as a team? As a team? First off, I know Paul George. I, I found this out yesterday. Paul George is second in the league in three-point makes. So he must be really hot from three. I don't know, man. Like, probably 39%. 39.8%. Damn. They're 40% like, from three as a team. And they're just shy of 50% on field goal. Like, they're close yeah. to 50, 40, wow. 80 as a team. Damn. That's right. Yeah. This is, this Keep what, it LA. That's what happens when you have four future Hall of Famers on one team. It's like, and a good set of role players around like, them. It's, it's so funny because, like, you yeah. think about... When you think I think about... What a sentence. 
when you think about ball dominant stars and like star scores and stuff, you know, they're good, you know, they're efficient, they can get the volume, but I don't know that you always go to, well, they also shoot the three really, really well. And and that's been something special about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, their entire careers as lead guys. But also James Harden is having a ridiculous three-point shooting year. James Harden's always shot the three well, but because it was so many step backs and pull-ups and stuff like that, his percentages were never like elite, elite. And then you add Norman there. So they have four guys. Mm -hmm. Their top four scorers are all shooting 42% or better on threes. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's like a uniquely built team. And I shouldn't say James Harden's, he's like a 36% career three-point shooter. So him being at 42% is really a special yeah, year for him. It is. I mean, he's taking, he's still taking his pull-ups, but he's taking more catch and shoots and stuff yeah. like that. It, it's, it's been a transition for him. Anyway, whatever, the Clippers are, are doing really well. Kyle in Miami, you want to talk about Kyle? Kyle was in Toronto recently. Kyle's averaging eight points per game, uh, four assists, 3.5 uh, rebounds per game. His usage is like Pat McCall level usage. You want to guess what his usage percentage is? 10.7%. Okay, it's a little higher than that. It's at okay. 13, but yeah, I mean, still, it's like by far the lowest usage rate of his career. It's even lower than when he was a rookie in Memphis. Um, his lowest with the Raptors ever was 19.6, and that was the championship year. Um, so clearly he's not the same, but still like a pesky role player. Every time he comes back to Toronto, gets a huge ovation, dap me up. So he's having an A plus season. He uh, also yeah. sneaky, uh, still 74th percentile in terms of uh, on off impacts and like estimated oh, wins yeah. added and stuff. Oh, he's like, always going to be He's still that doing like every, every once in a while, I still see a box score line where it's like, oh, Kyle played 32 minutes, took four shots, had one yeah. assist and was plus 90. Yeah. But you know what we don't hear anymore is the, the Kyle Lowry commercial. Sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm good with no more of that one. Uh, you know it's a good drop when uh, we're getting in our ear that we're headed to commercial shortly, but there's giggles underneath it. Shout out to Derek. Sorry. Me and Derek had to set that one up. Yeah. JV, I mean, JV is JV. It's the same deal. Gets the same money every year. Serge is in Bayern Munich. March, Marcus, saw, I hope you're on a beach somewhere. Hopefully you're doing more yeah. humanitarian Danny work. Danny Green, if you're listening awesome. and you're retired, come on the show, man. Oh, yeah. we could, we could look, You could book Danny Green at some point. Let's let's work on that during this break. Okay. Uh, we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show or The X-Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Liu. I've got Blake Murphy, co-host with me. And we got on the line Big V, Vivek Jacob, writer at large, including at Sportsnet, where his recent pieces have been going up. Big V, what's going on, man? You all right? Nothing much. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Can you can you give us a repeat of what you, uh, what you said in the goodbye message to Alex that you didn't know would hit air? Uh, no, we will not be repeating that ever again. Yo, did you actually not know that was going to go on air? 
<laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I thought that was going to be airing at Hongqing, but it's all good. No, think, it, uh, it aired across the nation, my friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all had fun with it. Alex liked it. That's the most important thing. That is the most important thing. But on my on behalf of all Asians, I say, you know what? That was actually a really funny bit that you did. Um, <laughs> okay. Wait, I gotta. I have a before we get into the actual the actual basketball stuff. V, uh, you had some personal news last week on the work side. It's not basketball related, but tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing for Cricket Canada. Yeah, I will essentially be their beat reporter for at least the next six months, and uh, Canada qualified for the T20 World Cup for the first time uh, in its history. So that's going to be a huge landmark event. The tournament's being played across the U.S. and the West Indies. And the first game of the tournament will be Canada versus the USA. Uh, and so I think it's going to be a huge moment for the sport in the country. And I am super, super excited uh, to be a part of this journey. I've gotten to know some of the players a little bit uh, the last few weeks and uh, can't wait to tell their stories. Yeah. Well, congrats, man. I'm super glad to hear that. Looking forward to uh, learning the sport a little bit more through you, as I do sometimes at, uh, at Play in the V or, or when you come on for Cricket Day on Jay's Talk Plus. Um, yeah, man, that's exciting. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, V, I was going to say. Thanks so much. We got we to take them out to, uh, to the, where, where was it? Brant, the CAA Center? Yeah. Yeah. The, the GT20. That was fun. Go catch a game. That was really fun. I got my Excel spreadsheets ready. That's how V sold me on. He's like, "You, you it's a spreadsheet sport." I'm like, "All right, let's go." So I, I went with friends of the program, um, uh, Assad, and also Sahal. Sahal did not know, like me, the rules of cricket. So the entire time, Assad was uh, graciously explaining the rules, and he's like, "This is a one. This is a four. This is a six. People holding signs. It just says sixer on the side." Yeah, yeah. It was a great time. Man. It was a great time. <laughs> Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna pivot over to the Raptors. So uh, one of the things that um, you know we thought just watching the game over the weekend against the Knicks, where they where they lost by 26 points and it wasn't that competitive in the second half, was just a question of okay, you know what? I get it. We're in a rebuild. This is official. Pascal's gone. OG's gone. More pieces will be out the door eventually. We'll talk about that with Grange in the next segment. Just the question of how long the rebuild's gonna be. Right, because I think people just want to know what to expect. Like, is this going to be Raptors take a dip for this year and then they're back next year? Are they going to need like two, three years with this? Is it going to be worst case scenario, five, six, seven, eight, indefinite kind of thing that like Detroit's in, for example? So, V, I just want to start their big picture. Like, how long do you think this Raptors rebuild will be? So, I, I don't have any real expectations of them being very competitive next year. I, I think uh, that next year will be, again, what Masai has been preaching with regards to patience. Uh, and so that'll be another rebuild year. After that, I think it all comes down to, you know, how much does Scotty improve over the next couple of years? How much does Emmanuel quickly get closer to his ceiling? How does uh, RJ Barrett shape up as a player? And I think that core uh, will determine, you know, it, it, how quickly they can get back into the postseason. And, you know, if if you were to project out, you know, a, a lot of people have made the comparison between Tyrese Maxey and Emmanuel quickly. I look at Tyrese Maxey as, you know, a fringe superstar. Uh, and what I've seen from Emmanuel quickly, I'm really encouraged, but I would probably put his ceiling a bit lower um, and say, hey, this guy has all-star potential. If he turns out uh, to be that, then that's fantastic. Um, but it really comes down to Scotty. Like, if you look at the Indiana Pacers, 
part of why they're able to go and make that move for Pascal Siakam, it's because Tyrese Halliburton has become effectively the best point guard in the league. And so I think when you look at that, it's saying, hey, what can Scotty be a couple of years from now? That will dictate uh, how soon this team is really back in contention. So one of the more difficult things with, with navigating this from here for Toronto is going to be you have at least one of the big pieces in Scotty Barnes. And he'll sign a rookie scale extension this offseason because they always do. Um, but that kind of starts the clock ticking on, you know, making sure that player is happy, making sure you can win around them in that window. When you look at mechanically how this rebuild or retooling is going to work, um, look, there's a scenario where the Raptors look at having a couple picks, a lot of cap flexibility this offseason, Scotty already being, you know, a, an all-star level talent, and say, let's go right now. Let, let's try to do it right away. There is a scenario where they hold that off a little while longer. I don't think there's a scenario where they really take a long view. It's like, hey, by 2027, we're going to be competing with Scotty Barnes. Um how do you think they navigate that need to basically be ready to pounce and make a Pacers like move, but not doing like making sure you don't do it too early to where you end up in, Hey, you used your, your assets and your flexibility and you're not good enough. Yeah. I think, you know, in terms of that clarity, we'll get some of it between now and the trade deadline. We have to wait and see if anything more happens with the, the picks that they've acquired. If anything happens with Gary Trent Jr., Bruce Brown. Uh, and so I think that will determine some of it. And then I think when you evaluate, you know, when to pounce versus when to stay patient, I think Masai Ujiri has shown that he will lean on the patient side. And the calculus, I think, essentially comes down to, hey, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Scotty Barnes, that's your core. What's the best way to fit around them. And so I think over the next while, you will be evaluating Jakob Pertl and saying, okay, is this the best suited center for the future? Masai, when he spoke at the presser, suggested that they could go one way or the other with Jakob, that they believe in him as a center, but hey, he could turn into something else. And so I think he'll be part of the evaluation. And then I think what we're already seeing in the few games uh, post OG, uh, and now obviously Bruce Brown has helped Scotty in that regard, but Scotty has had to defend on the perimeter more. And I think we've seen enough to say that he is better off on the back line. So is there another player that comes in that allows Scotty to stay there and kind of that free safety uh, and, and, you know, help in that way on the defensive end. And so I think that's the calculus now that you have to evaluate and get right. Um, and so for Masai, I think he'll be patient in making sure he identifies who should be the right guy. And that's the thing we need to see change, right? Say, for example, when you look at the Jacoperto acquisition, you can't go out again and just get a center just for the sake of getting a center. It has to be now about getting the right fits around Scotty, around quickly, around RJ. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think you will need to see individual steps taken forward from those guys as well. As you mentioned, that's what's ultimately going to decide the timeline of this thing. Um, I, it's interesting to me, too, because there's not I don't think there's been a single rebuild that Masai has done. It, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, the mellow trade. When he yeah. was in Denver, which was, you know, the Nuggets ended up not being in the wilderness too long. They got a lot of pieces for that and built pretty 
Uh, they were instantly competitive. That's my point. It's yeah, just like, but was that intentional or was that like the Rudy Gay and Bargnani trades again where like stuff just clicked in? Well, that's the thing for Masai is he doesn't even have losing seasons on his record. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, Tampa is the one exception, but Tampa was such like a, you know, uh, like it, that should be an apostrophe for that whole season. You know, like the Raptors not playing, you know, that's the circumstances, all that kind of stuff. Um Basically, in normal 82-game, non-world-changing pandemic seasons, Masai has always had winning teams. So I don't even know what the shape of this rebuild is going to look like. Like, I suppose even the Tampa year, they definitely held out a lot of players, and we saw, like, Aaron Baines play a game at three one time with Freddie Gillespie and Ken Birch. I don't think we're going to hit that level this year. Um, otherwise, I think MLSC should offer refunds, full refunds to people who bought tickets. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, what like is it going to get even worse than this before it gets better or is it just going to be like they're going to see this base they already have three guys that they feel like they're comfortable for the future and just kind of build off of that kind of the usual Maasai rebuild of oh we made a trade but actually we're still going to be competitive so I don't like if you look at this team right now um, I mean before the Pascal trade they were 15 and 25 but if you were to look just like in between the OG trade and the Pascal trade they looked like a decent team, right? That looked like a 500-ish, 500-plus team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this team now, my expectations are a fair bit lower. And I think with potential moves to still come before the deadline, it'll go down even more. Now, obviously, you're not going to get into that bottom five of the NBA uh, or the forlorn <laughs> five as they're getting to be known now. <laughs> Is that their name? That apparently is the name that's been going around. All so, right. um, five got you. Uh, and so I don't think you can be that bad, mm-hmm. but I do think I, I do still see next year as kind of a rebuilding year, as a growing pains year. Um, I think that obviously the quicker that you see them learn, the quicker you can accelerate. But I would say that, uh, next year there's still more to be had, you know, with Scotty, like. We, we still see some of the growing pains with uh, the passing, you know, maybe a little too high risk at times. So, you know, as, as that progresses, then, you know, you start to look at the options that uh, that better fit him. But I think for the next year-ish, you're probably in an evaluation mode um, that they've kind of done before uh, changing directions here. Uh, and, and then you go from there. I don't think Masai is going to jump the gun considering the way he's operated in general. It's also, you know, there are no real examples of uh, Masai going full rebuild and the wilderness. The Nuggets got bad a little bit after Masai left, but mm. who who knows how much of that was the next front office. Um, the Raptors franchise itself is also not littered with very successful rebuilds. Um, if you read Prehistoric, mm. uh, Alex Wong's book, obviously. Wow, um, you got to plug even when he's not here? Got to oh, do man. it. Come on. Got to do it. Um, <laughs> prehistoric. But like one of the things that Turn. permeates the second half of that book mm-hmm. is this friction between being competitive right away and rebuilding with a long-term win because you have a new franchise, you have tickets to sell, you have uh, a coach who wants to win every game, Mm -hmm. and you have a GM who's thinking more of like, hey, man, we got to get some talent. We got to build this up. And then if you look at the, you know, there are other eras as well. The Rob Babcock era did not hit the reset post Vince Carter particularly well. The Colangelo era was kind of always... It started well. It did. And And part of what is difficult about it is like you can like some of the moves within that it just like it really did seem like it was going well and then there was just not quite enough patience 
to like really let it get where it was going. Like you jumped a little too early on the Jermaine O'Neal, Turkaloo, Marion bandwagon yeah. of trying to trying to make those fixes. Um, but he also didn't really like fully pan out as yeah. a number one pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so V, we maybe can't look at Masai's history or the Raptors' history for good examples of, of how to do this. But when you look around the league at what teams have successfully done this or unsuccessfully done this in the last little while, what stands out to you? Well, I mean, I think the Utah Jazz look really impressive in, in terms of what they've been able to do in terms of the assets that they've been able to. Obviously, the Rudy Gay trade, the Rudy Gobert trade, rather, uh, they were able to really set them up for the future remarkably well. I think uh, getting Laurie Markkinen was, was such a huge get. Uh, I think they are really well positioned uh, to make a couple moves and uh, be back in the running there. And I think that would be a fairly quick rebuild. I don't think the Raptors are going to go the OKC Thunder style uh, with the picks, even though, you know, if you look at it, that happened pretty quickly because they got a Shea Gilgis-Alexander for um paul george and so the raptors that's where you, you know you argue that they missed out uh in terms of the pascal siakam trade right and if they maybe made a move earlier uh what could that have looked like compared to what the return is now now they've really got a hit on these picks if if they have them right and so i think the pressure is still on them i think last off season or sorry last trade deadline we said that they had backed themselves into a corner and then things got worse over the summer because Fred Van Vliet uh, departed with no return. And so I think they're still working their way out of the corner. Uh, they've done well to get quickly. They've done well to get RJ Barrett. Uh, but the way the Pascal Siakam situation played out, uh, there's still doubts over, you know, how long this could take as opposed to, you know, maybe those big swing trades uh, that gets you into a quicker rebuild like, you know, we, we saw with the Indiana Pacers getting Tyrese Halliburton with uh, the Utah Jazz getting a, a Laurie Markin and uh, that type of stuff is what you missed out on. Well, Utah would be a nice avenue because they also found, in addition to the new players, a head coach that they can move forward into in the future with Will Hardy. Yeah. He's he's done an amazing job. I and mean, we just saw the Utah Jazz play the Raptors. Um about last week, and wow, really impressive yeah. for a team starting Chris Dunn and Simone Fantecchio. Uh, I felt like we were playing the KD Warriors. Don't uh, do my guy Chris Dunn like that. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right, man. We need we need your, you know how Zach Lowe has his uh, Marcus All-Stars, yeah. Luke Walton All-Stars, whatever. Like, you gotta, you gotta my get your My Chris Dunn All-Stars of guys who actually aren't good, but I'll refuse to believe they're not good until they're oh. finally good. <laughs> I mean, is he the best guard defender in the NBA right now? I'd still probably go Caruso, but yeah. he's up there. Well, yeah. Again, Caruso's allowed to grab. And, and then I guess, do we even consider check. Drew Holiday a guard defender because he's guarding forwards and wings most of the time? Yeah. Anyway, there he's in the conversation, <laughs> yeah. which is really, really cool. Yeah. How do, what, what do they get? They just signed him, right? Like, Chris Dunn? Yeah. Yeah, he was on a 10-day last year. Yeah. Unbelievable. Great find. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Wolfon, so mad he's not part of this discussion <laughs> to talk about Chris Dunn, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, I was listening to the Low Post over the weekend, and um, he was having this discussion with Bill Simmons, and he kind of compared the Pascal trade similar to the Vucevic trade uh, that Orlando was able to pull off. Orlando was also kind of 500, kind of going nowhere. We got this player. We're probably going to have to pay him. 
you know, he's entering his 30s, all-star level player, but all at the same time, maybe impact metrics don't paint him as highly as his counting numbers. So they moved off of him. Now, I don't think that they're the same player at all. I don't think Pascal's situation is the same as Vucevic, but kind of compare those two trades. Do you see some comparison in that sense, Blake? I mean, I think it's fair in that Orlando was in a spot. Now, Toronto was on the come down after having been very successful. Orlando's more on the, hey, this didn't come up the way that we thought it would. And, and that's, I honestly, I think Orlando's decision is tougher because they had what they thought was the core with Vooch and Jonathan Isaac and stuff like that. And they had to admit, and this is a very difficult thing for front offices to do, that, hey, those two quick playoff windows that we had out in the first round, that's not it. We we can't keep going with that. We, we've got to change that up. Um, now, the Raptors kind of coming back down off a of core is, is uh, I think there's a little bit more grace given in a situation like that of, of its time. And look, I really like where Orlando's at now. Yeah. But it's worth noting that even doing that, making a good deal where you're still owed picks, where it gave you the push down the standings to add some really high talent, Orlando has still not been back to the playoffs. Yeah, This stuff takes time. So even a very yeah. good comparison like that, if you believe they're spiritually in similar places and it's similarly a good deal that sets you up for the next couple of years, you still got to hit on some stuff over the next right. little bit to get where you need to go. So I do agree that it's a good comparison point. Um, I don't think it's a comparison point where you are like slam dunk. Yes, that is you know, that's the model for moving forward because Orlando is only now scraping over being a 500 team mm -hmm. and getting back to being my favorite team to watch yeah. uh, outside of the Thunder. But uh, yeah, so a good comparison, but but probably not the... Ra and Utah is similar to this where another good comparison and Utah's sitting there at the deadline like in... They like, might sell again. At the end of year two of a pretty big teardown being like, eh, we probably need one more selling year mm -hmm. to, to be back to relevancy. So they're, they're good moves, they're smart moves, but this stuff does take time even when you're doing it really well. Yeah. Is I guess go. my point. All right, maybe to... Also, with... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I would just say with Orlando, they've been really bad for really long and they have not had the success that you would expect, right? Like 2013, they drafted Victor Oladipo's second. Uh, 2014, they had the fourth pick. They got Aaron Gordon. Uh, they had the 12th pick. They got Dario Saric. Like they have had high picks. 2015, they had the fifth pick. They got Mario Hezonia. Like, and, and nothing's come of it. Like their high point was what, winning game one against the Raptors in the 2019 year yeah, and yeah, yeah. Damon Jones thinking they were going to win the series. Like that's their high point oh, man. of the last I forgot decade. About that. The DJ Augustine game. Yeah, that's so that's, that's incredible level of hatred to be like, yeah, the eventual champions are going to lose to the Magic first round because <laughs> DJ Augustine hit a game-winning three, man. Get out of here. Yeah, anyway, so, yeah. you know, obviously there's the Jonathan Isaac pick. There, You know, there's a lot of picks. Mm. Mobamba. Mm -hmm. So they've had a lot of opportunities to get it right, and it's finally kind of happening for them. And, and, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Um, okay, maybe to, to, to wrap out this, one of you guys have to decide or give me the best-case scenario for next year's Raptors season, and one of you guys have to give me the worst-case scenario for next year's Raptors season. Oh, let me do worst-case. V can do best-case. All right, V. Give us the best case scenario of what happens for the Raptors next season. So I think uh, in a best case scenario, mm -hmm. like not, not, not like, probably... okay, they signed Steph Curry and KD and whatever. Like, I mean, like, you know, right. realistically with the group. Yeah. No, of course. Of course. In, in terms of being as competitive as possible, it probably involves keeping Bruce Brown. Um, okay. And, you know, you, you see what you can get for Gary Trent Jr., I mean, I, I, I'm not too enthused by what's there. 
uh, in the free agent market. Mm. Uh, and so I think I would probably just play that out. Uh, and then, you know, you potentially, you know, if there is, if you can put yourself in a situation where you're using Bruce Brown in uh, a Pascal Siakam type trade next year, <laughs> then <know>. maybe, <laughs> All right. and you, and you get another uh-huh. all-star type player to come into the mix. Yeah. Cause then, you know, if, if Scotty really hits, if RJ really hits yeah. uh, and continues on the trajectory that he's been on in a Raptor uniform, it quickly really levels up then you're in position to, you know, maybe you package Bruce Brown plus whatever else mm. uh, and see if you can get a, another type of star. I think that's probably a best case scenario, uh, a realistic best case scenario. Is that a playoff team? Like, are we are we sniffing playoffs? Like, is, can, can I even dream of the playoffs next year, Vivek? <laughs> I'm begging. I mean, in a, in a best case scenario, you would think so. Like, okay. again, if, if, if they were to keep Bruce Brown and you have this connecting piece and you have Scotty Barnes again level up say you know all-star say he's at all-star caliber level this season if he levels up closer to superstar for, for next season yeah. and then you have quickly looking uh like an all-star next year mm-hmm. then then yeah I think it should pan out that way because you do look at Scotty as a two-way player. You do look at Emmanuel quickly as a two-way player. Um, and then Jakob Pertl, that's where I think maybe uh, the fit has got to be right. Uh, does Jonte Porter continue to hit uh, mm. and then become a stable rotation piece? These are the things that the Raptors have to get back to hitting on, right? And I think part of why we're, we're so excited about Jonte Porter is because we've missed this, right? Yeah. We've missed the Raptors having this type of success with someone coming from the G League, coming from, uh, you know, an unexpected I don't know. avenue of success. Yeah, a Pascal Fred level success, uh, yeah. which we want more of. Okay, Blake, what's the worst case scenario at the end of next season? All right, let me for cook. The Raptors? Uh, okay, so it, <laughs> it, said, let me cook. Let me hate. So uh, at the trade deadline this year, the the Raptors decide to hold on to Bruce Brown. He'll be better as a okay. as a. I didn't flex. think both your scenarios would involve Bruce Brown this heavily, but okay. all right, keep going. Um, and then when they reach free agency with all the cap flexibility they now have, they realize that it's not as attractive a free agent class. They just roll back Bruce Brown. He's an expiring. You kind of do the dance with him on that side. Um, Obviously, the part of the worst case scenario is that even though Scotty Barnes is already very good and should be an all-star, you know, next year he comes back and he's about the same level. Okay. And Emmanuel quickly comes back and he's about the same level. The the star, you know, Mm -hmm. the potential to become clearly a starting caliber point guard and maybe even a borderline all-star. Yeah. He hasn't tapped into that. But he's like a Mike Conley type. He tops out that way. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. RJ looks more like New York RJ. Than Toronto RJ. All right. Um, and probably the biggest component of this, you end up keeping your pick via the draft lottery this year. Mm. And then next year, you're about the same quality of team and you're staring down in a much bigger draft. That decision of, do you have to go further down to keep mm. your pick in a really good draft? Or do you have to, you know, are, are you kind of, you don't get desperate just to make sure that you convey a bad pick, but you're on that kind of fringe. Like this year, they're on that fringe being sixth or seventh last, but nobody really cares that much because they have the other picks now and it's not that spicy a draft. If you're in that spot next year and what's a really good draft, it's it's a lot more uncomfortable. So in addition to the young guys you've bet on to take leaps, haven't quite taken them yet. The cap flexibility you'd built in through these trades doesn't really materialize in a player. You end up can you end up keeping the pick this year, so you're in that in that awkward position about potentially conveying a really good pick and a really good draft next year. Um, and then with all of that, you would have 
used all the picks you got from this year. You're you're 2020. Like you, there's just not a clear asset plan to how you're going to get better from there, other than that internal improvement that maybe didn't come up. Now, I don't think that's a likely scenario. I think there's too much upside with these young players. I think there's too much likelihood they maneuver between now and the deadline. They maneuver with the extra picks that they now have in the offseason, things like that. But if you're looking at a worst-case scenario, that is it. And it's another scenario where the use of your mid-level, say, in the offseason is, you know, the guys who are spicy names don't want to take your money because they can take it from better teams. And you end up kind of in a very similar roster situation, but the flexibility you've built is not – you're not able to to utilize it. What's scary is – um the, the the scenario Blake is describing is essentially the worst case scenario is that the Raptors repeat this season, which is also <laughs> quite possible. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some Bruce Brown elements to this, but in general, sounds a lot like this year, which I I really hope it's not. But I mean, again, that's where you're gonna have to hope that these young guys really take a step. Whoever the Raptors end up drafting, and again, know, I want to be clear, promise. I don't think that that is the scenario that's oh, going no, to happen. But the exercise the worst case is best than worst case scenario. Exactly. I just I don't want someone to like grab one clip of this and be like. Blake said they're going to give away the seventh Aggregate pick in the 2025 draft. Aggregate um, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Vivek, I appreciate you coming on. And, um, yeah, I look forward to watching a cricket match with you sometime. I'm, <laughs> I'm dead serious about this, man. We'll make it happen, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Vivek Jacob, writer at large. Um, hey, before we get to Michael Grange. Yeah. It's time now for Between the Lines. Brought yes. to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, the Raptors are, get this. Seven-point favorites. Mm. Uh, it's only the fifth time this year they've been wow. that big a favorite. They uh, were 10-point favorites against Portland early in the year, oh, and it stands well. out as one of their worst <laughs> losses. Uh, they were eight-point favorites against Washington. They won the game, but they didn't cover. Yeah. Uh, they were in the first meeting with Detroit, nine-and-a-half-point favorites, and beat them by, like, yeah, 400 yeah, points. Right. That was good. And then uh, they were 12-and-a-half-point favorites against Charlotte and actually snuck by, ended up winning that game by enough in that one. Oh, the yeah, one, I remember. The, yeah, one, yeah. Uh, the, the revenge the, game. The better Charlotte game, yes. Uh, if you're wondering how a team that looked like this on Saturday and has lost six of their last seven is a seven-point favorite, the Memphis Grizzlies will be without John Morant, mm. Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, mm. Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark, Derek Rose, Jake LaRavia, and potentially Xavier Tillman, who is questionable. Between these two teams, by the way, with Jakob Pertle out on the Raptors' side, if you had lined up at the start of the season what you thought the two starting fives would look like when mm. they met in January, Scotty Barnes, Jaron Jackson Jr., the only names left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I know we've been kind of talking about the Raptors, but like, I, I don't, I don't really see how you wouldn't try to back the Raptors in this case. I, I, there is the aspect of the Grizzlies being unpredictable, I suppose, because you're not really, you don't really know what this kind of group will look like. Uh, I suppose you could say the same thing about the Raptors, but I mean, realistically, the Raptors are at home. They're much healthier as compared to the other side. And, um, you know, especially for the younger guys, like I would love to see a big game from Scotty. I'd love to see a big game from Quickly. I'd love to see a big game from RJ. Um, just to sort of at least reestablish that like, yeah, we're probably not going to be winning that many games, but at the same time, we can at least beat the Grizzlies. You want to see proof of home, concept that these guys are... Roster? Yeah. Yeah. This so is, if uh, they lose this one, I mean, it'd be pretty frustrating, to be honest. Yeah. Th so this is who the, the Grizzlies started last game. By the way, the Grizzlies have lost four or five. I know there was some cool buzz when they they upset the Warriors the other mm. night. It was the cool GG Jackson game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Vince Williams has been a nice story for them. They started Luke Kennard, John Conchar, Vince Williams, Santi Aldama, and Jaron Jackson last game. Yeah. It sounds about right, honestly. I mean, they've, they've got half a team. Like, I feel bad for them. I really yeah. do. But, uh, yeah, Raptors should capitalize on this one. Take the Raptors.
minus seven. That was between that, the lines. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, I was going to redo that read for you. Oh, it's all good. Let's read together next time. Uh, brought <laughs> to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Okay, we're going to take our last break. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, let's bring in Michael Grange. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Swim Lou, Blake Murphy, co-host, and we are joined in studio by Michael Grange. Um, Grange, you, you, you got to be like number four in terms of like Raptors show appearances. Like we get you all the time. Man. It's like you and Vivek. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm trending up. I'm trending up. Yeah. Yeah. So and, that's fine. Enjoy it. Especially coming into the deadline here. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you're going to be on the December, road for a January, lot of that. Yeah. I was going to say December, January, February, I seem to make a lot more. <laughs> You know what? Uh, I'm going to blame Alex. Uh, Alex was the guy uh, calling you every day, at, uh, just texting you and seeing if you're going to be free at 2.30. And, you know, here you are at 3.30. Now we're just going to – so the Raptors head out on, on Sunday. They start a six-game road trip mm-hmm. heading into the trade deadline. And one of my favorite trips to do, Grange, over the years was like that – the road trip that times with the trade deadline because you're on the ground you get the reaction it's pretty fascinating it could be a dud if nothing happens and i don't know if uh you know a chris boucher or bruce brown deal is sending shockwaves through but you're going to be on five of those games i'd imagine we're going to tag you in after shoot arounds and things oh, like yeah, that yeah. but um we're how much booking you, you for next week actually. Yeah. We're how much are you right looking now? forward to that like do you do, is this one of your favorite trips of the year as well or am i a sicko no no i enjoyed it i mean especially this year and i think last year too they were went out west twice in this january period so, you know, I was just on that trip where, you know, they had that circle through Sacramento and Golden State and L.A. That was pretty wild um, just in terms of, um, like, L.A. is amazing just in terms of who shows up. And, you know, it's kind of like, a, like I say, it's the place where rumors go to be amplified. But um, And then uh, this one, you know, as it gets the talk, the clock ticks closer, little, as you point out, like, I mean, with OG and Pascal gone, you know, some of the, a little bit of the air has been out of the balloon, but I think the Raptors are still going to be busy. In fact, they're definitely going to be busy, <laughs> um, according to people who should know. And then, um, but also, like, just a great trip, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to get uh, first time seeing Fred in person for a long time. That's going to be fascinating. We got, um, you know, got going to see Shay, going to see, uh, you know, going to get to visit uh, Garrett Temple, the king of uh, king of Louisiana and New Orleans. Oh, nice, and, yeah. So I think it's, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it and then start off in Chicago. So it should be a good trip. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned the Raptors are going to be busy and you wrote a piece about Bruce Brown. Uh, I love excellent the, piece, by the way. Excellent piece. And I, I love the uh, the quote that you got in there. Um, I'm not signing no leases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's uh, likely to continue being moved. He's already been moved once this year, uh, coming over as the main salary, I suppose, in the Pascal Siakam trade, or at least the most recognizable player aside from the picks um you know what's what's his situation because uh, there was a lot of talk coming out of new york where he is a caa client and the knicks are very clearly interested in bruce brown and i would love to hear the level of interest in bruce brown because you also described that in your piece um what's his situation because you know I, i'm just hoping it's not another goran Dragic situation but it doesn't sound to be at least a repeat of that yeah well first of all i mean i think uh, just, you know, the, the brief interactions I've had with him, both the first day he was here when he played against Chicago and then had a decent chance to t- chat with him in New York a couple of different times. And 
Uh, great guy. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, okay. you can see why this guy is coveted uh, by good teams because he's, you know, he's tough as nails. He's good. He's smart. Um, he's, you know, he's, it really says a lot when guys the level of Harden, uh, Durant, Jokic, Murray, these guys want to play with right. you. Yeah, like, that's sure. a big, big compliment. And um, so all that stuff is great. But, you know, it was interesting just talking about to him about his contract, which, you know, he kind of had a choice. You know, he couldn't, he, Denver could only pay him so much. I think mm-hmm. they could only go like 20% over his existing mm-hmm. number. So it wasn't enough for what he was worth. It was like 8 mil, I think. Yeah, I think that was yeah. the size it could go. And so he kind of had a choice in the offseason. He could, I'm sure he could have got a full mid-level somewhere. Mm-hmm. So four years, 54, I think it would have came out to, which is obviously not bad. But he's still a pretty young player mm-hmm. and coming off a really good year, has a ring. Hasn't been paid fully yet. Yeah, and he hasn't got that. So so he kind of was, you know, Indiana came and stepped in and says, look, we'll give you 23 guaranteed with a team option for the next 22. So it's, let's just say, $45 million. So he's almost getting the full boat mid-level in the space of two years. And even if it's one year, it's still, you know, it's okay. Yeah. But because it's a team option on that second year, Blake's nodding. He knows all this stuff. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a huge the, flexibility the, the piece, minute, whether the Raptors keep him or someone else acquires yeah, the, the, him. He said to me, like, the minute he signed it, he knew there was a possibility he would be in play. And what was interesting was he expected to play at least the season in Indiana. But because things went so well there, mm-hmm. that actually convinced him that it was more likely he was going to get moved because all of a sudden he became a big contract number that they could use to go and get that singular player to pair with. Ty, Tyrese Halliburton mm-hmm. for, you know, the bulk of his prime, and we know what happened. So so now he's, you know, he was very clear. Look, you know, he's moved a lot. He's He says, like, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not advocating for anything. I don't yeah. know anything. Um, it's completely in Masai's hands, and, you know, I, he'd be perfectly happy to my ear to stay here, and I think if the Raptors' goal is not to, uh, is, is to kind of get rid of this pick obligation, I think, you know, there's an argument to keep him. Um, but you know, if there's you've got multiple contending teams who are looking for a guy who can round out a rotation, you know you got to listen. How real is the Knicks interested in him? Because I think it's real. Okay, <laughs> the so way the it was Knicks explained, wanted to sign him in the summertime too. Yeah, they wanted to give him, but they could only go mid level. Apparently, yeah. Tibbs, um, when he was in Minnesota during his draft year, was so remember Tibbs was uh, president general manager mm-hmm, right. with uh, with Minnesota. And uh, he was he was on his radar then. Okay. Um, wow. And you know the other little element there is he just had this awesome year playing for Mike Malone. Well, guess what? That's your Van Gundy Tibbs mm. mafia, right? So yeah. Okay. He used to be assistant with Tibbs back yeah, when. Right. So I think he's got all the you know all the intel he could ever want there. So um, you know, but it was funny. I was talking to one guy who you know he would be in position to know, and he he kind of said, well. Tibbs is very interested in Bruce Brown. We're not sure, you know, not 100% sure the Knicks are interested, but the, but the Tibbs is very interested. Got you. So, um, but that said, I mean, I, they're definitely looking. I talked to some people in New York and uh, in their front office, and they want to add talent. And, and I think their first goal mm-hmm. is they want to add a star. And, and, and uh, like, they look at that team, and they've got to add one guy at or above the level of Randall and Brunson. Like, that's a formidable team. They, have the, they still have the pieces to do it. Um, but failing that, I think they're looking for rotation depth, and, and I think they see Bruce Brown as a good option. By the way, if Bruce Brown lasts uh, the week, so plays tonight and then plays Friday, he'll pass Goran Dragic for minutes as a Raptor. 
Remember when Gordon uh, that, that's how that's how narrow uh, this has to be. Yeah, yeah. he um, started the home opener by the way that season. What was crazy. that about? Yeah. The surprise. Start I think he actually played pretty hurt. good that game. If yeah. I got, we I lost to the beat. Wizards by twenty though. What a yeah. what a weird. All era. I remember is Delano hit that half court shot for his first ever basket. Good as, as a as an NBA player, but also as a Raptor. That was a crazy game. debut. Um, okay, so in seriousness, uh, look, Goran Dragic uh, eventually was used to, to turn into Thad Young, I guess, is uh, is what you could say about that. But yeah. Bruce Brown, um, there is going to be much more of a market for him than there was for Goran Dragic, obviously. Much younger, um, that's the big thing. Yeah, and just better at this point. So, Grange, when you, look, Masai kind of talked us through a lot of this on Thursday, what they're trying to do now. Um, we saw them do the OG trade that really focused on players now. We saw them do the Pascal trade that really focused more on the pick equity they're getting back. Do you have a sense of what the rap, whether it's in a Bruce Brown trade, Chris Boucher, whoever else is available, what the Raptors priority is here, or is it more of a, Hey, we just need assets at this point and we'll figure out how they all fit together later. Um, you know, if we were talking before the Pascal trade, I would have said, no, they're looking for players. They, and I would think if they can, you know, I think if, I think if they have a choice and they can get players that, that fit their timeline, that fit their needs, that whatever, I think they're going to go with that. Um, they're in a bit of a weird situation because I don't think I can say with, I know for a fact, like they had no plans to be rebuilding this year. Mm. They had no intentions to be rebuilding. This has all kind of happened despite their best intentions. And so I think I think it could be very well they'd be at a stage where they're like, look, we just got to get the best we can get. And if it ends up being, you know, bad money but a good pick, we go that way. If it ends up being a good player with term, we go that way. Like, you know, I, I don't think they're in a position, you know, what are they, 8 and 19 since they were 500? Like, damn. Um, damn. You know, I don't think they're in a position to be uh, kind of fine-tuning what they get back. I think they need to get something that can – turn into something and you might not have the choice with the players you have like bruce yeah. brown i think you can probably be selective but if you're talking about the other pieces on the roster mm-hmm. um if you're moving those it's it's kind of a well what can you get well i think the interesting thing too is like can the raptors really afford to take on another pick in this year's draft i mean yes but the like there is diminishing returns to having so many picks in one draft but you can also like package those to move up turn them into future assets and so i'm not I'm not quite as worried about okay. that. Like, I don't think, that, like, Masai basically told us, I'm not coming into next year with three rookies yeah, that I, I picked in the draft. Can, and can, can I just, like, I'll ask you guys, like, like this notion of packaging picks and moving up, like, nobody else wants any picks in this draft either. Well, it's, it's, I <laughs> like, think, like, I'm like, like uh, what are we missing? What am and, I missing here? And the Raptors have had opportunities in the past to do that or to buy into the draft to take extra picks. And this, this group, and there was... This was justified very early on, a little less so lately, is so confident in their ability to land undrafted guys or undervalued guys that they haven't seen the need. I, I think the the thinking is probably A, there will be some teams out there with no picks who would be willing to get in on picks. Like we saw Denver the other last year trade Oklahoma City a future first that has way more upside because they needed second round picks who could help right now. They need cost control seniors. Yes. Thing, yeah. And as we enter the era where there are stricter and stricter luxury tax hits at the highest levels and there is now a CBA restriction that lets you sign your second round picks for longer without using your mid-level, I do think there's a type of team that might be more interested in that. But yes, I don't think you're turning around to going to San Antonio would you like three picks in this draft instead on top of the four you already have? Um, that part I, I definitely get. Um, Michael, outside of Bruce Brown, what what sense do you get 
I said on the show the other day, I, I have heard fairly certainly that if, if a team comes with a reasonable offer, you can get Chris Boucher. Um, have you heard similar, and have you heard anything to that effect about other vets on this team? Um, I'd be a little surprised if Chris Boucher is still a Raptor come the trade deadline, and I think that's a reflection on, you know, where he is in terms of his contract and what he could do. Like, if, if you're, again, you're talking about teams that are trying to win a playoff series, win multiple playoff series. And, you know, Chris is, first of all, biased. Like, he is literally maybe my favorite player. Like, I mean, yeah, I he's just great. great person, yeah. great energy guy. Like, and Mine. for all the reasons he drives people crazy yeah. is maybe why Mine I too, like him more. for sure. But, yeah. but um, so this is no shade at all uh, yeah. to Chris. I just think Great that, human being too, man. I, love I just Chris. think that if, if you're a team and you're, you're one of these teams that's really trying to win mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and – you know, you're looking for a little depth in some specific positions. Chris has that ability to win a quarter, win a half, mm-hmm. you know, win three possessions in a row. Like, it can go the other way, too. Yeah, we yeah, all yeah. know that. But but on a deep team, <clears throat> he yes. gives you that ability. He's a game-changing yeah. player, and, yeah. and that can be for good and bad sometimes. But, but I mean, um, you can easily picture him, uh, you know, you're, you're down 2-1, and you're down in the second half, and mm-hmm. you throw him in, and it's... He gets fouled three times and, you know. All of a sudden you're making a 30-point comeback. Yeah. 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 So, so anyway, all that said, and I just think that age-wise and, you know, with another year on his deal left and if the Raptors are trying to maybe carve out some cap space, you know, I, I think that mm. he could be a guy that would net you a couple of second-round picks, I'm sure. We, so we got a lot of picks in a draft that a lot of people don't want and maybe a lot of cap space in a year where not a lot of free agents are in. Yeah. Uh, well, well, well done. Well done. <laughs> Look, I mean, wow. I, I don't know if we want to go too far down that road, but, uh, you know, I just think that, um, uh-huh. you know, I, I think this is sort of a product of when you don't necessarily pick a path and you kind of are maybe too invested in, in your own success mm-hmm. previously. And, and yeah. like for good reason, we all know that, but, but I just think that that you know, had there been a really cold, hard discussion uh, this time a year ago, yeah, and they had decided, you know what? I mean, I think it's not like this is a bad team, but you know, maybe this is the time to to kind of move on, rebuild, reshape, and you know, I just think that they'd be a year further along, and maybe with some more assets to do it. Mm. Um, but and you know, that's that's all water on the bridge. So now you got to figure it out as you go. You can't cry over spilled milk, like Masai hmm. said. And he did say the word patience a lot. He's like, I got a lot of patience. Now the question is, do we have a lot of patience? Do fans have a lot of patience to watch a rebuild? And I, I think that there is going to be that patience, so long as the prospects that break, get in are exciting, like quickly, like RJ, like Scotty. Um, what about Gary, though? Because I feel like age-wise, he actually does fit that timeline. He's not much older than those guys. He just turned 25? Yeah, just turned 25. Yeah. Um, is is Gary going to be here long term? Like, what happened in the offseason where it was like maybe they were going to extend him, but then also that didn't happen, and then he picked up a player option, so now he's an unrestricted free agent. What's the future there? I mean, I think they like the player. They like the the person on, okay. the, on their team. Like, it was kind of funny. I remember last year, and, you know, Gary, the perception of Gary maybe publicly wasn't – was I don't know what it was. Like, you know, he, he – I don't think people recognized – exactly how good a pro he was okay and how um and i remember having kind of digging into that and having conversations around it and Interesting. like and like you know last year when you had all these question marks in terms of contracts and um 
so, so-called selfishness and all these other issues. Mm-hmm. You know, people tell me, look, Gary Trent's the least of our problems. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. he is, you know, I think they really respect and appreciate how he does his job. Um, I think he's really good at one or two things. Um, they're valuable things. Um, and to their credit, like, he's probably played himself a lot cheaper, right? Like, I mean, if they were mm. going to extend him a year ago, I don't know if this number would be the same. Coming good this good outcome, poor process yeah, for so, getting a better yeah, <laughs> junior contract. So, and last I checked, I don't think there's a ton of, like, you know, he's not going to get you a first-round pick. Like, he's not, okay. there's not, like, a great demand for him out there. But, again, you know, uh he could be a guy, if Chris Boucher, if we think he can get you a couple of seconds, I'm sure, I'm sure Gary Trent can get you a couple of seconds at least. It's also, we did the next thing with CAA and Bruce Brown. It's like, it's all, it's always worth keeping in mind at least a little bit that Gary Trent is a clutch guy and the Lakers sure. are one of the worst shooting teams in basketball. 100%. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think for Gary, it's just like, what's also a little difficult is you have quickly, you have RJ, and then you have Scotty now. Ideally, they play one, two, three for you in the lineup. So it's hard to see Gary long-term as a fit with those three guys in a starting context, you know, like, and for, and that's fine. As long as he's cool with coming off the bench, I but think then it's, I yeah. feel like he's offensively way it's more fine because Scotty's kind of positionless and Gary's shooting becomes so important. Really in, small in a team, line. Though. It is, well, that's yeah. the thing is defensively. It's, it's not, it's just yeah. not good in right. addition to being small. There you go. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, like it hasn't escaped my attention that Grady's played real Grady, minutes. Yeah. Like, three out of the last four games. And I think he's, He's definitely played the less best little stretch he's had as a Raptor, mm-hmm. and I think if you know if there was a choice between, especially on a rebuilding team, between uh, you know having an obstacle to Grady Dick getting all the minutes he could possibly handle, and you know having to throw money in years at Gary, I mean I think they would make that choice. May I recycle a joke I used on Twitter on Saturday? Of course. The more the Raptors look like a 905 team, the more comfortable Grady's looked. Oh. <laughs> Wow. By the way, Grady Dick, uh, all four shots out of the left corner the other game. Well, yeah. you know what? Interesting he, player. Like, yeah. he, he runs there. He gets there in a hurry. He's set up. His yeah. foot works good, and he's making them. So good for him. Um, you know, I just think that uh, I had a thought, and it's kind of just went away. <laughs> it's a good one, too. Well, wow. you, you tell it to us down at the arena, and we'll <laughs> paraphrase it brutally and clumsily <laughs> tomorrow. You know what Grange told us down at the arena? Yeah. We'd, we'd have three more minutes, so... We could you know. be the aggregators from yeah. what Grange tells us down at the down at the barn. Uh, any 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 thoughts on Dennis, Otto, Thad, just like the vets on the team? Jakob, like, who Masai keeps, like, oh yeah, the Jakob. only piece of all this that he keeps tripling down hey, on. You know what, Grange, let me run this Jakob okay. proposal by you, because no one wants to hear all the other stuff, to be honest. No offense. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the, the Jakob thing. Could you call San Antonio and say, we can return Jakob. I will take store credit. As in, I will move some of the protections off this pick if I really want to, like tank full on and not have to play percentages or play limbo with like Washington, for example, at the bottom of the standings. Can you call them back and say, look, listen, we will give you back Jakob. You give us some salary or whatever. And then we move some of the protections around on the pick. I would do it. hundred percent. Do you think San Antonio would do it? Cause wasn't there a bit of interest in San Antonio in just retaining Jakob? Well, I mean, I think the last I heard is that San Antonio's even kicked around at DeJounte Murray, right? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Um, I right. can almost get there with the Doug McDermott expiring. Almost get there. Yeah, all right. The uh, And, you know, I think if from their point of view, you know, when I was down in San Antonio in November, like, they love him. You know, he yeah. loves it there. Yeah. And they need, you know, they need what he does. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, especially with, uh, alongside Wembenyama. So, 
Like, why not? Um, okay. The yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're Toronto, you you, you got to be calling everybody. You got to be creative. Yeah. And and well, I probably got two phones. You go in full GM That's mode. Right. Just trade. <laughs> put on trade block. Put on trade block. Put on trade you know, block. I just think that that uh-huh. you know, I think I think the reality is kind of dawning that. Um, you know, they could be in for here. This is this is I think the thought I was I was okay. I got stuck on the other, there we go. the other minute. Is as I look at this and I look at their roster, I look where they're at, I look at their assets. I, I, to me, this looks like next year is not going to be any better. Like I, I oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like yeah. I, you know, I don't think there's a magic potion in free agency. You just never know, obviously. But you know, and so I think the biggest risk they face is. Um, like I think they need to be in position to be able to have a really good pick next year. Okay. And, and so bottom I, all the like way. I'm up. not going to call it tanking, but you know I I think that Cooper. that is a really good draft. I've had people like it's no secret like but people in that organization have watched Cooper Flag. They think mm. he's as good as they get. Mm. Like like okay. you know, he's a, I'm gonna not gonna say generational, but he is a one in five year type prospect minimum. Damn. And. You know, and I think the real risk you run, like what's what would be the best case, worst case scenario? Yeah. Right? You you don't keep your pick this year. San Antonio picks seventh. Uh, you're, sorry, you keep your pick this year, but you're just as bad next year. Next thing you know, you're, you know, you're giving up a, a sixth pick or the seventh pick in the draft next year mm-hmm. in a really strong draft. Like, I just think you want to, whatever steps you got to take to make sure that, you know, next year, you're in a position to draft really well. I think you got to start thinking about. Well, on that sober note, we're going to wrap the podcast. So uh, thanks everyone for listening to the Raptor Show. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back tomorrow.